The problem is the name. The story of the Good Samaritan. It's just the story of the ordinary Samaritan, I think we should rename. I've got a couple of names for this story, but this is the first one. The story of the ordinary Samaritan, because he was just a human being doing what human beings are supposed to do, what we wish that we would all do. This is how the world is supposed to be. If I told you a story of a person who had two children and uh, they loved them and they brought them up and they paid all their bills and they fed them properly, you'd say, well, why are you telling me this story? This is just the or- This is what you're supposed to do if you're a parent. This is not remarkable. It might be for some, of course, some of us who didn't have that experience of kind parenting. And we know what ungood looks like. We're seeing it all the days uh, at the moment on our news from the Ukraine and other terrible places. The Yemen, which has fallen off the news completely. It's an indictment that we have to single this story out as the good Samaritan because we don't experience this the way we should. Oh, well, we should be good, but of course he was special, so we don't have to be. It's the story of the ordinary Samaritan. It's also, I think we could name it, the story of the hollow world. You notice in the story, if you read it carefully, the Samaritan is truly present. He's alive in the world. He saw him and was moved with pity. He takes action. He went to him and bandaged his wounds. He makes decisions. He took out two denarii, he paid the innkeeper and he said this and this and this and this is what I will do and this is what's going to happen next. He's a man with agency. He's fully present in the world. He engages with the world as it actually is. Not the way he wishes it was, but as it really is. And here it is, broken in front of him. He's fully present and fleshed out in the story. He's fully alive in the way that Jesus is fully alive. Jesus calls himself all the way through the Gospels, the Son of Man, much better translated as the human one. I am the human. I am one of the people. I am one of you. I am the one who is living fully human. That's what Jesus is saying so often. And Paul talks about Jesus as the firstborn of all creation. So Jesus is living as the Good Samaritan is. This is the way the world is supposed to be. This is the way we are meant to live. This is the way we long to live. Of course, in the pre-Reformation world, before we got silly and started to take the Bible word for word, literally, people all all through the first 1,500 years of the church understood these stories symbolically. And one of the symbolic ways that they understood it was the Samaritan was Jesus. And we were the broken person uh, on the side of the road. It's a really interesting way of starting to think about it and the way that all Christians would have generally thought about it until we got into a bit of um, sort of fundamentalism for a while. And here's the contrast. We get two other people turn up in the story and they're barely present at all. They just happen, now by chance or in other translations, they just happen to be on the road. They don't seem to be there by their own choice. They just sort of happen to be there. They're like automons. They're like ghosts. They pass by. They're not really, we don't know anything else about them. We know that they're not really there. They're sort of not engaged with what's going on. They're not fully alive. 
They're ephemeral. It's as if they have no real importance in the story at all. In a world of pain, of brokenness and of violence, they barely register. What a contrast between them and the detail we get about the actions of the Samaritan. How much there is. Given the way we have stories in the New Testament, in the Gospels, they're very lightly sketched very often, but we have all this detail. The problem is, of course, is that these two are supposed to be the best of the best. They're part of the temple. They represent what it fully and truly means to be a good, alive Jew. Their job is to maintain the culture and the faith of the people. They are the pinnacle of their culture. They are supposed to be what we all subscribe to. It's not just that they're two men who happen to be walking along the road, happen to be just there. It's two men at the centre of everything. And always, when I read this part of the story, this might not think how you think about it, but I have to think about it at the, of Europe at the end of the 19th century. Barbara Tuchman in her wonderful book, The Proud Tower, says that there were 200 families that ran Britain uh, at the end of the 19th and into the beginning of the 20th century. They had done it for centuries. They were the, the best equipped. They were the best educated. They were the pinnacle of society. In fact, that was true of Germany as well and of France. These were educated people. These were the, 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 it's the wealthiest societies ever on the planet. They were prosperous. They were educated. And yet within a few years they were slaughtering each other. Christopher Clark, the Australian um, historian who comes from Oxford, who works in Oxford, he wrote a book about the First World War called The Sleepwalkers. He saw us as walking uh, uh, in some sort of sleep, walking blindness into the First World War. The greatest, the best of everything all falls apart. Something is deeply wrong. Something was deeply wrong at the end of the 19th and the beginning of the 20th century that led to the the terrors of the first and the second, or as many historians say, it was just one war with a brief interregnum. It was just the same war continued. There's something deeply wrong. The temple system was designed to bring everyone together. It was the blessing of all the nations. That's who the Jews were supposed to be. It says it all the way through the Psalms. The temple even had a court of the Gentiles or a court of the nations. But instead of welcoming all, something has gone completely wrong. And here's these two men at the pinnacle of everything, barely present, ignoring or maybe not even registering the brokenness of the person before them. Instead of welcoming all, we get a lawyer asking a question. Who is my neighbour? And there's the problem. As soon as you ask the question, you're going down the wrong road. As soon as you want to know, how do we divide this up? You're completely lost it. The earth belongs to God, the Psalms say over and over again. This lawyer, which in in this context was a religious lawyer, not dissimilar to the priest and the Levite who appear, just happen to appear in Jesus' story. Once you ask, who is my neighbour? You're dividing things up. It's like asking... Who are the full human beings? 
and then you get the treatment of indigenous people all through the 18th and 19th century. Smoothing the dying pillow, as some uh, commentators said we were supposed to do because indigenous people were going to die out because they weren't fully human. Who are the true human beings? Well, the Nazis gave us an answer to that too, didn't they? As soon as you ask the question, who is my neighbour, you're lost. You've lost the story. It's gone completely wrong. We could call it the story of the wrong direction. The priest and the Levite are headed to Jerusalem. To, to the place where they can pretend everything is fine. Jerusalem is the fantasy place. It's the place that they go to pretend that everything really does fit their model of the world. Isn't this what Putin is doing at the moment? Forcing the world to fit his model? The USSR should never have broken up, in his view, in in some of the uh, interviews you can read from him. Russia needs to be brought back together as the great empire, and so he is going to force his will on the Russian people and on the Ukrainian people. These two men are heading to Jerusalem, to the world and the way they think it is supposed to be. It's a fantasy. They're going in completely the wrong direction. We all, we all live these fantasies, don't we? Like the idea that climate change is not a problem. Or that there's an away that we can throw all our junk. Well, the Uniting Church at the moment, living a fantasy. We've lost a general secretary and we've got a moderator on uh, sick leave. And we don't know what to do about it. It's best if we just sort of keep going the way things are and everything will be fine. Rather than recognising we're deeply, deeply damaged. We don't know what to do about it. Your cough could just be a cough. And you could pretend it is. Or you could just get it checked and find out whether or not you have to face a deeper truth. Your relationship, it's not good, but it'll get better with time. We don't, we just hope for the best. We know that's not true. But we all live these fantasies. We, the, our government, our state government, according to figures released yesterday or Friday, made $343 million in poker machine taxes in the last financial year. That's just the taxes that we as the government made, not how much people poured into those machines. This, they estimate about $200 million a month. No, $200 million every three months goes into poker machines in South Australia. That's a fantasy. It's the long desire that this time it will matter. This time I can do it. But what if they had, had the courage to do what the ordinary person did? The Samaritan faced the truth. The world is full of damage. People are stripped of their dignity. People are left for dead. We've got at least 2,000, possibly closer to 4,000. We don't know. We don't actually know how many asylum seekers we have in Australia who do not, do not have access to Medicare and do not have access to work rights and do not even have a visa. The government have just abandoned them into the community. There may be as many as 4,000. The government literally doesn't know. They don't keep figures. People are being stripped of who they are all the time. We experience it even in ourselves. 
they should have faced the truth. It's not easy. You should face the truth in yourself. You look in the mirror and it turns out you're actually getting older. (laughs) Well, you are not, but um, I just look the same as I always... No, because somehow that's a bad thing. It's a wonderful thing. We're still alive. Um, It's a glorious thing. It's a miraculous thing, given that looking around here 200 years ago, none of us would have still been alive. We'd have all been way past old age. We have to face the truth of our situation. Because this is what Jesus promised us. In the Gospel of John, Jesus promised, you will get the spirit of truth. And truth is not things that you wish they were. They're not things as they're supposed to be from Jerusalem. They're not things as Putin wants them to be. They're not things as you, your parents told you that you should do. They're none of those things. They're things as they really are in reality. And as they really are in this moment is a man broken and bleeding and near death. And if we ignore it, we end up living like ghosts. If we live in our fantasies, we end up living half-human lives. We're sort of present, but we're not really. We're the people that you don't want to meet at parties because we're so vacuous, we have nothing engaging to talk about. We're just not there. Because we're damaged too. Because the damage that is done to this man is, is the systems that these two, the priest and the Levite, when these two men are in, is damaging them because they're not even present. Everything damages us too. John Donne, that great 16th century English poet in his poem, For Whom the Bell Tolls, says, Any man's death diminishes me. Any man's death diminishes me. That's why Jesus said we need mercy at the very end. Mercy is compassion to those over whom you have the power to do good or evil. Mercy is having compassion over those to whom you have the power to do wrong. And who do we have the power to do wrong to? Well, to ourselves, of course. We beat ourselves up terribly. To the people around us, because when we're we're in fear and anger, we damage those we love. And we damage the world just by being alive, it turns out, in the 21st century as a Westerner. That's why we need mercy to each other, to ourselves. And then it turns out we get healing. Or so the story tells us. We get healing. So be it.